Hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Dr. Lee Thomas here. Welcome to Be Aligned Health, the podcast. Now, obviously, we've had lots of different radio programs. We do talks inside of our office, and we wanted to create a channel where you could listen to the audio versions of a lot of our great talks or great topics to really help propel you forward with your health. If you're a patient of ours, we love taking care of you in the office. If you're a guest and you want to become a patient in our office, you can visit us online at BeGalineHealth.com or you can call our office at 614-389-4945. We also have lots of data and materials available online. So on YouTube, you can check us out at BeAligned Health or at the same handle on our Instagram or our Facebook page to get all of our resources. Today on the show, what we want to spend some time going over and unpacking is a lot of the newest data on cancer prevention. We just finished doing a really incredible workshop inside of our office called Battle Ready, which is a whole workshop uh, built around how to uh, defy cancer and really build your health and your immune system to give yourself the best tomorrow possible. So that's what we'll spend some time on the show today unpacking with you guys. So uh so so as just a quick introduction to this, you know, I've I really built my career off of helping people coming from really a lot of experience in the medical field when I was growing up. Um obviously my mom had chronic health issues. She had neck pain, back pain, migraines. She had suffered with depression and uh you know when she was alive, you know, the problems that she had were never dealt with in a in a great way. Um oftentimes she would go to the doctors We'd wait weeks to get an appointment. She would leave with medications and no real lifestyle advice. You know, I watched my mom go from pill to pill, and literally she was kind of begging to try to find a miracle cure in that, all while at the same time uh, forsaking, and this is what happens to a lot of people, her, the rest of her health, right? Her spinal health, her nutrition, her fitness, her mental health. None of those things were ever worked on. She really looked for health in the form of a pill bottle, which we all know that doesn't exist. Well, my life was changed by a chiropractor when I was 16. I started getting adjusted, and it really changed my my perspective on life. You know, learning about this vitalistic concept of the body, being able to heal given the right environment. And so, when I went to college, I knew I wanted to be a chiropractor, but I couldn't actually pick chiropractic as an undergrad. Um, so I had to be pre dental, and all the pre med kids, anyways. We were all together. I spent my years volunteering at Ross Hart Hospital in the emergency room at the Ohio State University. And what happened there was I watched day after day as you know motor vehicle accident victims would come in, gunshot victims would come in in the evenings and at night. And then what I would see during the day was something chronically different than that. I wouldn't see these trauma victims come in. I would just see these chronically ill people come into our into our hospital. So people who are overweight, who are diabetic, who are cancerous, you know, oftentimes they had flush skin, which is like a big indicator of having heart disease. Those were the vast majority of the people that I escorted around. And in talking with hundreds of people, their story was nearly always the same. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be in a hospital. Uh, They didn't feel like they had another choice. And almost all of them wished at some point they had chosen a different lifestyle path. You know, unfortunately for many of them, their want and willingness to change came too late. And watching these people struggle... Um, I realized that prevention is where I wanted to plant my focus. So since then, you know, I, I've worked obviously with some of the top doctors in the preventative medicine space. If you've listened to our radio program, you've heard us interview doctors on there, um, from MDs to DOs to naturopaths, functional nutritionists, and longevity experts. And you know what, myself and our team we live for now is to really help you guys along that path to an aligned lifestyle that promotes long term 
vitality. So what I won't be going over this on the show today is like the best cancer treatments when you already have cancer. Um, we do take care of a lot of patients who actively have cancer. The focus of this is to walk you through the best research lifestyle practices to reduce your risk factors for developing cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and other types of these chronic degenerative diseases. You know, when you look at how we're doing in America, when it comes to staying healthy and preventing disease, although a lot of us tend to think, well, in the last 100 years, we've we've made a lot of progression. You know, we're living longer, obviously, than 100 years ago. Um, you know, we're, you know, we have refrigeration. We have um, a lot of things in our life like sanitation that can help us live longer. If you really look at it, if you take out some of the top infectious diseases, you know, dysentery, smallpox, our mortality rate hasn't really changed much, honestly, in the past 60, 70 years. Since 1960, it's relatively speaking unchanged. And if you look even further into the data and the, in, in the demographics on it in the last eight years, our life expectancy hasn't improved at all. And in fact, in several years, it's it's dropped off. The OECD, which is an index of like industrialized countries, they've they've ranked us as being the the people that have the highest rate of people living with chronic conditions, multiple chronic conditions, um, and our obesity rate has skyrocketed, and it's twice the uh, the average of countries that are similar to us with being a first tier technology and healthcare infrastructure. Unfortunately, we lead the world when it comes to struggling with chronic disease. And uh, these are the big four. You know, it, it's heart disease, it's cancer, it's cognitive and neurodegenerative disease, and it's diabetes. You know, those are the four that have caused really the most problems, and those are the biggest killers now in America. Uh, we have seen some improvements in people surviving with heart disease. Uh, we've unfortunately seen a massive increase uh, in neurodegenerative disease and cognitive decline. Um, Alzheimer's rates alone, they've increased 140%. Since 2000, that's from a 2018 study. Uh, diabetes, the number of people that are diagnosed with diabetes has almost doubled since 1980. So in 43 years, we've doubled the rate of people being, di- being diagnosed with diabetes. And, uh, and when it comes to cancer, you know, a lot of things that you would see on like commercials would maybe lead you to believe that we're doing better when it comes to, to beating cancer or to, uh, to defeating cancer. Uh, obviously, Nixon declared the war uh, on cancer in 1971 with the Cancer Act, and uh, we've made a lot of advances, no doubt, in cancer detection and treatment. And we'll talk about some of those things today. But you know, the reality is is that the improvements in treatment and early detection we've made in cancer has unfortunately uh, been dwarfed by the sheer number of people that are being diagnosed, and a lot of them that are being diagnosed at younger and younger. Uh, ages. So like we've made some some great advancements in things like leukemia and Hodgkin's lymphoma, but a, a big study came out of the uh, Harvard Gazette in 2022 showing that um, there's a massive increase in several cancers that are uh, occurring at younger and younger ages. So meaning like someone between the age range of 45 to 64, you know, 20 years ago, they weren't getting cancer of of that type as often as they are now. And that's a big problem because again, we're advancing in in so many things in technology, but when it comes to it, we're not seeing these trends in the right direction when it comes to cancer. It seems really frustrating, and our understanding now is that you know a cancer diagnosis is comes from two places. Five percent of it is a genetic origin, and ninety five percent of it is an environmental origin. 
So we understand that largely speaking, cancer is an environmental trigger, you know, uh, lifestyle modification, understanding that, understanding proper nutrition, exercise, all the things that predispose us to cancer. We have a good understanding of that now, yet we're still getting them at higher and higher rates. And so it's not good the direction that we're going. So what we're going to start with is just helping you guys get maybe a little bit better of an understanding of what cancer is. And then we're going to start talking about like the big habits that contribute to cancer. And then of course, going through the action steps for getting on the don't get it plan. So the more we understand about cancer, the more we're starting to understand that cancer is a, what you would call a natural wound healing related process. And I'll unpack that a little bit here. The easiest way for me to describe it, and this is a simplification of one type of cancer and different cancers have different causes, but cancer is our body's adaptation to a bad environment. The best way I can liken it to you is with smoking, that if we were to light up and start smoking a cigarette right now, that would put a lot of stress on our esophagus and our lungs. And so our body's very good at adapting to abnormal environments. So if we start smoking and we keep inhaling that smoke into our lungs, you know, our cells are going to try to adapt. So the first step is they try to make more cells in the area, right? You can see even this in a, in a, a someone who works with their hands and they develop calluses on their hands. So the first adaptation is our body's going to keep trying to make more cells in the area to kind of counteract the damage that we're doing. The next step is that our body, if it keeps trying to create more cells and they're still dying off faster and faster, it may start to change the type of cell in an area. So for example, someone smokes a lot, they're diagnosed with something called Barrett's esophagus, which is a transition of the cells in the esophagus from a certain type of squamous cell to a more stratified or a thicker cell. If you keep going years and years of punishing and damaging your body in certain areas, you know, eventually your body's going to resort to other other tactics. And one of the tactics that we're seeing in, in cancer now is there's a genetic switch that's changed in cells where basically your body shuts off the genetic switches that allow a cell to die under a normal circumstance. So what will happen is they'll shut off the gene that tells the cell to die on its own. And then unfortunately what happens when that takes place is now these cells can start to re- start to replicate out of control. They're not really under control of the brain. We've shut off the genes that tell that cell to die when it's supposed to. And so what happens is we start to get abnormal cells that are reproducing on their own. And if we keep doing that process, eventually it will lead to something called a clinically relevant cancer mass. You know, the reality is that we all have cells inside of our body that don't do what we want them to do. But in cancer, someone who's specifically diagnosed with cancer, it's a, it's a tumor that's large enough that it's relevant. And oftentimes that can take anywhere from eight to 10 or more years before we can diagnose it. So again, one of the big things that, that you hate to see with cancer is that we always talk about early detection and going a step beyond that's really important because even the best test that tells you that you have cancer, there's still one fatal flaw in that methodology of diagnosis is that when you're told you have cancer, that you have cancer, right? And so there's so many things that we can do now to work on preventing and lowering our risk for developing cancer, heart disease, cognitive problems, and all these issues. And we have the research to show it now. The unfortunate thing is that there's no money or there's less money in prevention. And when it comes down to it as a statistical column, less money is spent on prevention than 
any other type of cancer-related funding. So although we understand a lot of things that can help reduce cancer, uh, unfortunately, there's no money in prevention. And that's obviously why we're doing this. And our clinic is based off of that. Um, you know, We want to help you guys get to and fix the underlying cause of these problems before they become a big issue. That's what our whole office, Beeline Health, that's what we're all about here. Okay. So let's briefly talk about the five major lifestyle habits that contribute to cancer. Um, these are going to come as no shock to you, but some of the statistics, hopefully we're going to push you in a way that just really helps you get with it when it comes to creating the action steps to get away from these things. So the first major lifestyle habit that contributes to cancer is nutrition. Uh, I don't think it's a far cry to say that our diets are bad as far as the standard American diet is concerned. If you look at it, um, 60% of the average adult's diet is made up of processed foods. So that's three-fifths of our calories are coming from processed foods, and these are highly processed foods. Um, 69% of the average kid's diet in the U.S. is from highly processed foods. Now, it's not to say that some processed foods aren't, you know, aren't bad for you. Some can be because a lot of things have some type of processing done. What I'm talking about here are ultra-high processed foods, things that I would say if you're trying to picture it in your head, have the nutritional equivalent of a Lunchable. So they're typically devoid of a lot of healthy nutrients. Uh, they're made with typically damaged oils, not good healthy fats, um, protein from less than quality sources. So you're not going to get the amino acid profiles you need to build healthy lean muscle. That's the type of diet that I'm talking about. This is referred to as the standard American diet, which is this diet right now that's focused on processed, sugary, quote unquote, fast foods. Um, it's one of the main stressors and daily habits that contributes to cancer risk for a lot of reasons. A uh, big thing is a uh, standard American diet is lacking in many essential nutrients that provide the body fuel to actually identify and remove cancer cells. So a lot of us have metabolic imbalance, which means that we're not getting the raw nutrients we need to have a metabolically healthy body. It's like we have furnaces that are supposed to be burning at 100% and they're only burning at 40%. So our body's ability to create energy, our liver's ability to detoxify, our kidney's ability to detoxify, all of those things are not working like they should, and you can pound that over years or decades, and then you start getting problems. Standard American diet can also contain many carcinogens, including chemicals, things like glyphosate, that are known substances that can contribute to cancer risk. So these things can disrupt our hormones, our gut microbiome, and they can contribute to obesity. You know, and a lot of times as I'm talking about cancer, I'm going to talk about these other things as well because someone doesn't just get cancer. Oftentimes they are already sick and you can see it in them and then they develop cancer. So they're overweight, they're obese, they have heart disease, they have metabolic dysfunction, they have these other warning signs that are going on before they develop cancer. It goes to say that you're not sick the day you're diagnosed with cancer. You were typically sick for years, if not decades before you got the diagnosis. So poor diets lead to inflammation. We understand that inflammation is something that puts stress on the body. And chronic inflammation is a prolonged inflammation within the body due to a stressor. It's really hard to get away from those uh, inflammatory diets and lifestyles. So a lot of us just live with this chronic low-level inflammation. And that low-level irritation is a problem because your body never stops trying to heal from stress. And so if your body's never in a homeostatic state, never in a balanced, neutral state, it's going to cause a lot of problems and your body's constantly adapting to the stress, which can lead to cancer. Okay. The number two thing is stress. Now, stress can come from a lot of different areas, but if we just kind of briefly unpack what stress is, 
Stress is an innate response that our bodies have developed as a survival mechanism to cope with challenging situations. So, you know, one of the primary ways that stress impacts the body is by activating something known as the fight or flight response. This response involves the release of a lot of different stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline that literally preps the body to either confront a threat like a bear or run from a threat, run from the bear, thus fight or flight. You should probably run. Don't try to fight. In the short term, it's a helpful response because again, if we didn't have this fight or flight response, our ancestors would have been drinking out of a stream somewhere and a tiger would have come up. And we would have looked at the tiger and been like, nah, man, he can sense my cool vibes and he's going to leave me alone. Great way to not make it, <laughs> to not make it past lunch. So we need this fight or flight response. It can be very helpful for us to run, to put you know blood into our muscles and tense our body up and help us fight for our life. But the problem is extended levels of time of this fight or flight response are bad. We understand that stress weakens the body's immune system. And this isn't a, a fatal flaw of the body. It's if a body's under acute stress, we're not really worried about like the tiny little pathogens that are like in our air, germs, molecules affecting us. We're more worried about the bear or the big thing in front of us that's trying to kill us. So our body's intelligently trying to, you know, put priorities in place and say, okay, we need to, you know, protect ourselves against bear, lion, whatever it is. I'm not worried about germs right now because I can fight those off later on. So there's that immune system strain. Chronic stress also causes our blood pressure to raise. Uh, You get raised blood pressure because our cortisol goes up and it sends tons of blood into the muscles of our body. It also downregulates digestion. People who have chronic stress don't digest as well as normal. So everything is taking us out of this parasympathetic state, which is our resting, healing, digesting state. You know, when I think about it, that's where I want my body to be the majority of the time. I want my body healing. I want it resting. I want it repairing. And if we're under chronic stress, we can't do that. And your body doesn't do a good job differentiating mental stress from chemical stress, from emotional stress, from physical stress. That's stress in a nutshell. Three, a sedentary lifestyle. So I, I, I love talking about this, and I'm, I'm super passionate about this, obviously, because my background's in corrective chiropractic care and helping your body stay aligned and moving well for a lifetime. But a sedentary lifestyle is one of the biggest, I think, overlooked factors when it comes to long-term health. I've read more than a dozen books, at least, on longevity and long-term health And unfortunately, a lot of them don't talk about some of the concepts within a sedentary lifestyle. But we understand now that lack of exercise is one of the biggest hormone disruptors. It causes immune system compromisation. It directly contributes to obesity. We know that if you move well, you are constantly activating cells in your body and telling them to stay healthier for longer. To divide better, to have less telomeric shortening is a great regimen of exercise in your lifestyle. But Here's the problem. There's a lot of underlying causes behind a sedentary lifestyle that we don't often talk about. Uh, Back injuries, arthritis, uh, neck problems. Those are three of the top four where unfortunately what happens is we somehow hurt ourselves or become disabled. You know, we don't think about like a neck problem as a disability, but anything that stops us from being able to move and work out and be active like we want to, that's a level of a disability. And oftentimes when it comes to how we react to a sedentary lifestyle is it causes this stress in our body. It's like, well, we can't work out, so we're stressed out, so we sit on a couch all day, which makes our posture worse. 
we're stressed, so we tend to eat more and unhealthy foods. That leads to an increase in cortisol. It worsens our arthritis or disability or inability to move, leads to more weight gain. And you see how this cycle can just become vicious. And there's so many people I talk to who say that's almost the exact same thing that happened to me. I see this every day in my clinic. People will come in and say, Doc, I was doing everything right. I was healthy. I was working out. And then I, you know, I, I tweaked my knee or I hurt my back or I hurt my neck or, or arm, whatever it is. And you know, slowly but surely over the next two to three years, I'm not working out anymore. I'm not doing what I want to do. I feel like my body's going backwards. And now I have all these multiple issues. You know, I'm 20 pounds overweight. You know, I'm, I've developed high blood pressure. You know, I'm not sleeping well at night. I'm binge eating. I'm depressed, so on and so forth. So making sure that we take care of this lifestyle component. And number one, if you're injured at all, get your body to back to where it wants to be through corrective chiropractic care or through specialized soft tissue work or through alignments, whatever it is, we need to make sure that your body can function well. If you have arthritis, that we're consistently adjusting and keeping your spine mobilized so that arthritis doesn't progress. Those are the things you need to be investing yourself in because, again, you go to the sedentary lifestyle, it's so hard to out-eat you know, and stay healthy if you're not moving. It's almost impossible. So you got to get the lifestyle component of it under wraps. The fourth big thing is environmental toxins, and and we know that toxins are all around us. Um, they're just oftentimes places we wouldn't think that they are. You know, they're the um, they're the stain repellent that's in our carpet or in our uh, in our couch. They're the um, the fire retardant that's in our mattresses. We also have toxins in our food, water, home, cars, um, and you know, there's things like. You know, glyphosate, which is an herbicide used to kill weeds and grasses. And then there's other things, you know, like cadmium or like lead that could be in contaminated water supplies. Um, we could be leaching plastics, not just BPA, because BPA is quote unquote banned, but phthalates that are in plastics can affect our body's sex organs. So there's a lot of different places where toxins are. It will give you some resources on them. The, the big last one, number five, is sleep. And sleep is really this hugely restorative process for our body that helps our body facilitate healing and recovery. You know, you you go by the National Sleep Foundation, adults should have seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Um, sleep is when your body heals. I mean, that's when you produce white blood cells, you start activating your body's immune system to combat and heal from damaged cells. Um, it plays a crucial role in promoting proper blood circulation, aiding the repair of muscles, you know, lymphatic drainage, uh, adrenal repair. That's how you restore your body and mind. And we know that insufficient sleep will kill your recovery. It'll kill, you know, if you're working out trying to gain, good luck if you're not sleeping well. Um, You've got to make sure that your biological clock is working properly and you're able to sleep and wake and have proper circadian rhythm management. All of these things said, you know, these top lifestyle things typically tend to lead to something called metabolic dysfunction. And so not that every single person has this, but... There's a couple criteria where if you're looking at your life, and these are just simple things you can do a blood test or look in the mirror and see, these are things that raise your risk vastly for heart disease, for cancer, for cognitive disorders. They are having truncal obesity, having elevated blood pressure, high triglycerides, high blood glucose levels, bad HDL cholesterol levels, and poor posture. Those are some of your biggest easy warning signs of metabolic dysfunction. If you have any of those things or you have symptoms of those things, you know, this is where you need to be raising a hair and saying, okay, this is me. You know what I mean? Let's like don't wait until you have the 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 doctor look at you and say you have full blown heart disease or you have dementia or you have 
you know, stage three arthritis in your back and you need surgery tomorrow, like don't wait until you get to that point to start taking care of yourself. Know that these are warning signs that oftentimes rear their head way before these problems are there. So the whole encouragement of this is that you become proactive. And the only way that this works is you become this person that is absolutely proactive in taking care of your health. There is the, you know, there's three plans I I say that you can be on in life. One is the don't know, don't care plan. That's like when the good Lord's ready to take me, they're going to take me, you know, I'm going to live my life and and, and do what I do and I'm going to enjoy it. And that's a great way to leave this planet way too early. And the world needs your wisdom. So, uh, you know, if you're not a grandparent yet, and I'm not yet, but I have kids, and uh, I only have one grandparent left, and by the time that I realized that my grandma had a lot of wisdom for me, I was in my 20s, and uh, I was like, man, she's awesome. She can so help me through life and how cyclical life is. And, you know, we talked about, you know, COVID, and then she brought up the Great Depression, and it was (laughs) something really good at helping me understand, like, wow, people have dealt with hard things before, and we all get through it. Well, you know, you don't give wisdom to your grandchildren when they're six, seven, and eight. You give wisdom to them when they're in their twenties and thirties when they really need that that wise sage advice. So my encouragement is don't be on the don't know, don't care plan. I would also encourage you don't just be on the no early plan. I mean, yes, I think preventative screenings are important, but if you're only basing your health care off of that, then you're really missing the boat. And uh, and again, oftentimes the things that I'm gonna talk about going forward in the show are things that you've got to be investing in for yourself. Because oftentimes insurance does not pay for the things that are preventative. They don't pay for healthy food or gym memberships or oftentimes for you to do the things that can be preventative. They don't even pay for a lot of the preventative lab tests that we do inside of our office that can really help tell you if you're at a high risk for developing heart disease, cancer, cognitive problems, arthritis, metabolic disease, gut problems, You know, years or decades before you get them. So the last plan that you should be on, this is the number three plan, is the don't get it plan, the stay ahead of it plan, the do everything possible to make sure that you're not putting yourself down this pipeline for it. Um, One of the starting things that we talk about in our office a lot with our patients is preventative lab testing. So these are things that can be done in our office. Whether you're looking for, you know, preventing cardiovascular disease, if you have a family history of it, running things like an LPA or an APOB or a CBC, CMP, homocysteine, there's a lot of labs out there that can really give you good indicators on cardiovascular health. And then we can help create a nutritional protocol for you for that as well. There's a lot of nutritional deficiencies that predispose us to having cardiovascular problems, including high blood pressure, heart disease, atherosclerosis. Um, you got to get ahead of those. That's something that is so overwhelmingly preventable through a good diet and proper nutrition and proper neurological function that we really shouldn't have heart disease being as prevalent as it should be because we we really have a good understanding of what causes that. You know, the next type of preventative testing you can do is hormone testing, making sure that your hormones are balanced. That's understanding your, you know, total free testosterone, your estrogens, your sex hormone binding globulins, your vitamin D levels, which are really important for hormone creation, cortisol levels. All of those are tests again that we do inside of our office that we can help you with. Or if you're working with a functional healthcare provider, they can help you establish a baseline for those and help work on balancing them naturally as opposed to chemically, especially in the beginning. You can look at blood sugar testing as well. So fasting, blood sugar, insulin, um, those are great ways to look to see if you are having any problems that could lead to insulin resistance, which could lead to down the road diabetes. And the reality is, is that one in three Americans right now over the age of 18 are pre-diabetic. 
So, you know, sugar is a, is a big problem and we've got to get ahead of that, but you don't know what you can't measure. So if you're, you know, at home saying, man, where do I start? Talk with us. Let us start working on getting some of these labs ordered for you. If you're a patient or if you're a person listening to this office or to this, uh, to this reel, we want to help you guys. All right, so let's uh, let's go through the essentials. How do we really start aligning our lifestyle to uh, reduce our risk of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, of all of all of these cognitive, um, chronic problems that seem to to get so many of us? So, in our office, we've spent you know I've spent the last twelve years speaking on, but maybe thirty forty years researching these essentials. Um, some of them are not unique to our office. There's a lot in multiple disciplines that agree on these. There's a few specific ones we do in our office um, that a lot of regenerative clinics are getting into now. We're going to go through all of them in this in this workshop here, and I want to try to give you actionable bits of advice that you can really implement into your daily, weekly, monthly schedule to help you really get on the right track when it comes to staying healthy. So these five essentials, in, in no particular order, are proper fitness. Um, making sure that you're getting good oxygen into your body and that you have good, strong, lean muscle mass, uh, having a healthy mindset when it comes down to not only your mental fortitude, but understanding the right way to take care of yourself, uh, having uh, a minimization of the toxins that are in your life. Uh, you're not going to be perfect. None of us are, but making sure that we're actively working on minimizing those is going to be really important. Having a healthy uh, nutritional plan, uh, going ahead, knowing the right foods to eat, the foods to stay away from. Uh, you know, it's not just as easy as just eating greens and exercising. We're going to go through the specifics on that. And the last thing is proper alignment. This is spinal and body alignment. Uh, we talked earlier that you know, if your spine's in a bad alignment, if you're uh, if you have an injury, it's one of the most common ways to become sessile, which causes problems. But there are so many other issues that are caused by a damaged spine. We know, for example, that poor posture is one of the largest indicators of mortality in people over the age of 60. So, you know, it, there's a big thing that comes down to that. At the end of the day, gravity is going to get all of us. So, keeping yourself aligned properly so that you can resist gravity, keep your posture healthy, stay moving well, all important things. Okay. So, as we walk through them, we're gonna we're gonna tackle them and uh, and go through them all together. We're gonna start with the uh, the fitness essential. So, yes, exercise is important. It's really vital to long-term health. Um, if you read some of the newer books that are out, like Outlive by Peter Atia, I mean, a lot of the researchers are looking at fitness as being one of the really, really big ones. Um, you know, there was a, always a debate like, well, if you could only exercise or eat healthy, which one would you do? Um, the, the dial is tipping a lot more now towards exercise. You know, if you go from zero exercise to just 90 minutes a week, it lowers your risk of dying from all causes by 14%. You know, there's no drug on the planet that does that. Uh, there's another study that came out that showed that people who exercise, that exercising regularly is 150% more effective than counseling is for mental health. Not that we don't need counselors, we absolutely need them, but just saying that's that's how powerful of a, of a mood stabilizer it is to get your body moving. People who regularly exercise live more than a decade longer than others. Hopefully, I've, I've beat it up enough that you need to work on exercising. Okay, And so this is one of the biggest things that helps reduce your physical decline. So arthritis, cognitive decline, uh, emotional health, um, all of those things are, are really important for you. So there's a couple ways that you can measure fitness, and these are kind of your, uh, your, your benchmarks for making sure that you're healthy. Um, you can look at VO2 max, which is one of the most studied factors in longevity. 
VO2 max, simply put, is your body's ability to utilize oxygen. And so the higher your VO2 max, the overall healthy you are from a fitness uh, and aerobic and anaerobic standpoint, right? So, you know, if you can push, you know, 60 milliliters of uh, air per kilogram per minute through your lungs, you know, that's really elite. That means you can ride a bike for an hour without getting winded, you know, and if you don't, you can only do half of that, you know, you're then someone who's, who's out of shape. So, so your ability to utilize oxygen is really important. And as we start talking, you know, cancer more, you know, having good oxygenation inside of your body is one of the things that helps prevent cancer. Cancer thrives in oxygen depleted environments. And if you're getting more oxygenation into your body, it's, it's just harder for cancer to take a foothold and to start reproducing and get out of hand. The second thing when it comes to measuring fitness is muscle strength. Uh, more important than just muscle mass, we don't need you to be big and bulky. We need you to have strong muscles. We know that uh, thigh diameter is a great uh, test, looking at your thighs side by side um, and, and measuring them and, and knowing that if you are seeing your thigh diameter shrinking or your thigh circumference shrinking, that's a big warning sign that you're losing muscle strength. People with Thighs that shrink over time, uh, they tend to die earlier than people who don't. Uh, grip strength is another great uh, uh, measured research uh, thing that actually helps increase your body's potential for living longer. Okay, so when it comes down to fitness, really easily put, uh, there's three different types of fitness. Uh, these are the ones you need to work on. So there's aerobic, anaerobic, and strength, and we're going to talk about all of them. So what is aerobic fitness? Aerobic fitness is getting out, getting your Getting your pulse going up a little bit, uh, the way I describe it is it's a zone two level, which if you're thinking about it from an exertion standpoint, you can talk, but it's a bit strained. So you're going on a jog with a friend and you guys can talk about the weekend and things like that, but there's a couple spots where you got to choose your words wisely because maybe you can't you know, just drone on and on. Uh, honestly, you need two 30-minute sessions per week to really start to improve your aerobic fitness. So I always say the best fitness you're doing is what you're not doing already. But if you can shoot for it as a goal, if you're just starting out, two 30-minute sessions per week. If you really want to go for elite level, around four 45-minute sessions per week is going to get you to an elite level over time. The next level, the next type of fitness is anaerobic. And that's where, you know, it's hard to talk. <laughs> this is where you're at a zone four, maybe even a zone five for some people. High heart rate. Um, you're really working your body out. Um you're doing either like HIT training, which is high intensity interval training, you know, your CrossFit style workouts, your um, varied, uh, you know, on, off, on, off, going as hard as you can type workouts. Really, you know, one, maybe two of these 20 to 30 minute sessions per week is going to really get you where you want to be with anaerobic um, uh, fitness. That's your body's ability to, you know, utilize energy in a non oxygen based format. Um, it's great. Anaerobic training is great because after it, your body starts burning through your fat reserves to replenish what it burned during the workout. So the way to think about it is aerobic, you're burning fat while you're working out. Anaerobic is you're burning fat after you're done working out. Your body's going to scavenge you know, fats and damaged cells for anywhere from four, 24 to 48 hours after a really good anaerobic workout. So you want to have a good mix of both of those in a great fitness lifestyle and then the last one being just keeping your strength up. Now, you can either do strength training during your aerobic or anaerobic training, or you can do it separately from it. But the best methodology on building strength is that it's not about counting reps. It's about counting reps once it gets hard. So 
I always talk to people when I'm adjusting them and working with them and I'll, I'll say like, Hey, you know, I know you said you've been working out. How's it going? And a lot of people will say, well, it's not good. You know, I've, I've been working out for months. I haven't seen many changes yet. And I say, well, what are you doing? And they'll say, well, I'm following a fitness plan. You know, I'm doing like three sets of 10 on my biceps and then three sets of 10 on my bench press. But three sets of, sets of 10 is arbitrary because if I do three sets of 10 at five pounds versus three sets of 10 at a hundred pounds, there's a massive difference in perceived exertion that I would have in my body. Agreed? So what it comes down to is what helps a muscle grow, get bigger, and stronger? Well, it's stress. You know, adding muscle to your frame is not something your body necessarily wants to do. It's great for your body overall. It makes you stronger. But your body's not going to go through the process of laying down extra muscle unless it absolutely has to. Right, So it's a lot of work on your body. So how do we tell our body to become stronger? Well, we have to put it under that stress. So really, it's get your body to where it's really stressed in a muscle, and then it's three to five more reps at that point. So the weight doesn't matter as much. What matters is that you're really pushing for those last few repetitions. That's when your body looks at it and says, oh, wow, I wasn't strong enough to lift that. Therefore, I've got to lay down some extra muscle mass. So that's the Fitness Essential in general. If you guys have any more questions on that, you can obviously email our office, or if you're a patient, you can ask when you're in the office. But if you have questions, you can email us. You can follow us online, uh, Instagram, Facebook, at our handle, Be Aligned Health. Um, let's keep going with this. Let's go into the Nutrition Essential. This is where we'll spend a good bit of time talking through these you know, building blocks of our body um, that's really going to help us you know, stay alive and healthy for longer. So we're going to talk through... Some of the big ones on protein, carbohydrates, and and fats, and I'm going to give you the overview on these and what you really need to be working towards with them. You know, protein is your amino acids; those are your building blocks that form your cells, tissues, organs. A lot of them can be used to create enzymes and hormones. Um, the The general thought process was that protein wasn't quite as important; that your body could really hold on to lean muscle mass if you were getting a in, in my opinion, a rather scant amount of protein. A lot of opinions have changed on that, um, although the RDA from the FDA hasn't changed in a long, long time. But it's one of these things that I would say you, if you're only doing the daily minimum, you're going to have a ton of problems maintaining good lean muscle mass as you age through life. I mean, the RDA states you need 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, which would mean if you weigh 150 pounds, you only need like 55 grams of protein per day. Um, this doesn't really represent an optimal intake that supports a healthy metabolism. A lot of the newer research studies are showing that you need really between 1.2 to 1.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, or roughly 0.6 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight if you don't understand kilograms very well, like I don't. So that matters, number one. So a big component of your diet is that you need to get a certain amount of protein on a daily basis to help keep your muscles around. So yes, you need to be working them out, but also a good amount of protein is going to help keep those muscles on your body. So that should be really a relatively fixed number. You know, if you look at your body mass and you get a calculation with that, for me, for example, it's 160 grams of protein per day. I may vary up or down for that a little bit on a daily basis, but generally speaking, I'm roughly staying right there. Okay. So quality matters when it comes down to protein. You want to avoid eating really low quality source protein to lower inflammation. Like you do not want to be getting all of your protein from, you know, protein bars that are filled with, you know, terrible nutrients, 
unhealthy fats, you know, it matters where the sources come from. So largely speaking, the the most nutrient dense sources are from optimally raised animals. And I say optimally raised because it not everything is grass fed. Beef is grass fed, but chicken should be free range, organic. So you want to eat if you're eating meat, which I I'm an omnivore, I think that eating meat is a great thing. Um, it needs to be raised right. So grass fed is going to be your best source of beef. It has really good protein sources, but also it has a lot of different healthy fats in it. It has more omega three fats than a uh, conventionally raised beef would have. Um, organic or or free range chicken is going to be very protein packed. Wild caught fish is always gonna, is also going to be protein packed with lots of omega three fatty acids as well. A lot of research showing that uh, wild wild caught fish has more omega threes than than farm raised fish uh, for lots of reasons, including the fact that farm raised fish is you know fed a diet of things that you wouldn't you wouldn't expect fish to eat. Like fish shouldn't eat corn, in my opinion. <laughs> I've never seen a wild corn farm in an ocean in my life. So um, these are great sources of protein. Eggs are also a great source of protein. Um, your you know organic pasture-raised dairy products as well. If you can eat dairy, can be very helpful as well. Like a plain, organic, you know, cultured yogurt can be great. Um, hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, your nuts and seeds can have great sources of protein as well. Um, you know, fermented soy can be great for you as well. I don't like GMO soy, um, but you've got lots of options. But really, getting that good protein on a daily basis is really essential. The last thing I'll say on protein before we move on is timing. You want to really optimize that first meal of the day, getting a good amount of protein. A lot of us are fasting through the night, and so you want to break your fast with a good amount of protein to help pull your body out of that fasting state and go from muscle breakdown to muscle building, right? So anytime you break your fast, there's a leucine score. You want more than three grams of leucine roughly to start building muscle. So getting over that 35-gram hump of protein, that's what's going to kind of push you towards towards that direction. Okay, um, You can also eat too much protein in a sitting. Really, you want to shoot for something under 60 grams. If you're doing too much more than that, you're just going to be uh, having diminished results with uh, with regards to returns. So try to keep it in a good you know, 35 to 30 to 40 gram basis, maybe as high as 50, maybe 60 if you're a bigger person, but I wouldn't go too much above that. So that's protein in a nutshell. Fat we'll talk about next. Absolutely essential nutrient, vital for hormone health, brain health, longevity. You know, essential fats means your body can't make these fats. They must come from food or from supplementation. Uh, there was a uh, a PREDIMED study in 23, a study out of Spain, uh, that gave literally a group of olive oil to use on a weekly basis. So they gave them a whole liter and said, cook with it, eat it, you got to use it, but you don't have to use it all. So kind of a weird study that they said, we just want you to use healthy fats. Um, another group, they limited their fats, only gave them one ounce of nuts per day. That was their only fat source that they could have. And then they had a control group, so they gave them very low-fat diet. So no nuts, had to trim the excess fat off of their meat. They couldn't have fish. And an interesting thing, they they had to stop the study. The first group that could eat you know, olive oil and have healthy fats, they had a 31% reduced risk of heart disease, stroke, and early death. The second group had a 28% reduced risk. The third group lost horribly, and due to ethics, they had to stop the experiment. It just goes to say this. it's Not not all studies are perfect. This was a great study that gave us some good information. It basically showed that, again, our body needs fat. You know, And if, if we're not eating fat, if we're limiting fat, especially omega-3 fatty acids, we're depriving our body from a lot of the things it needs to make healthy cells. 
we got in this whole thing in the 1960s where you fat's the enemy and, and sugar's fine and carbohydrates are fine. In the last 20 years, we've been switching back to this understanding that if you're eating good, healthy fat, you know, polyunsaturated fats, a limited amount of saturated fats, but still some saturated fats like from meats, um, monounsaturated fats, you know, from olive oils, from avocado oils, um, you know, you're going to be healthier overall than someone who is deficient in these fats. Okay. And your body burns one of two fuel sources for fuel. They burn fat or sugar. So if you're not burning fat for fuel, you're going to be a sugar burner. And uh, that comes with it its own problems, um, especially from in the world that we live in. So the last thing we'll talk about is is obviously sugars, and then we'll talk about some ratios for them. You know, it's not that all sugar is bad. It's not that all carbohydrates are bad. What I would say is that generally speaking, we tend to overconsume carbohydrates versus underconsuming carbohydrates. Uh, most of us are maybe not as physically active as we think that we are, and you know, we tend to do one workout and go, "Oh my gosh, that was great! I need to refuel," and we eat like eighteen baked potatoes and. Um, you know, we we overconsume on carbohydrates. So, limiting your carbohydrates or just being more aware of your carbohydrates is something that I think is important for every person, no matter no matter who you are. Even professional athletes do this. They they eat a different carbohydrate load during their on season when they're burning maybe four, five, six thousand calories a day versus their off season. Tom Brady was widely known as someone who ate something very similar to our advanced plan in the off season, which is. Very little, if any, grains, uh, tons of healthy fats, berries, nuts, seeds, clean meats as a source, but not a lot of even complex carbohydrates because he wasn't quite as active in the off-season. Then during the on-season, when he was training a lot more often, he would eat a lot more complex carbohydrates than he normally would in his in his off-season. So again, we can vary our diet based on what our needs are, but if you don't know what you're eating, if you don't have an idea of it, it becomes very challenging to really um, to really dial it in, right? So that's my that's my deal on fats and carbohydrates. Um, I'm I'm for the fact that you know eating a lower carbohydrate diet tends to be healthier for most people overall. But some people do better with a higher carbohydrate diet. It really depends on your activity levels in your body and your body's own individual makeup. You can do lab testing to really hone in on this as well. We do a metabolic test from Genova that can actually tell you how well your body metabolizes and burns carbohydrates for fuel versus fats for fuel. Or if you have any deficiencies that are stopping you from metabolizing those properly. Because at the end of the day, it's not just what you eat, it's what you can absorb and assimilate. And if you're having problems there, you might be gaining weight even though you're eating not enough calories. You may not be able to assume them, absorb them properly and your body's in starvation mode. And that can crush your energy. So knowing where you are is a great idea. If you're a patient in our office or you need help with these, you can obviously ask us questions. We've got lots of testing and resources for you guys available to help you with this. Um, we also use Trainerize um, to help coach you through this as well. If you've tried to lose weight in the past or tried to get in better shape in the past and you failed at it and you don't know where to go, we can help coach you through it and help you better understand what your macronutrient makeup should be and really help you get over that hump when it comes to being healthier in the long term. Okay, so those are fats, carbohydrates, and uh, and sugars, or fats, carbohydrates, and uh, and proteins. If you guys have any more questions, obviously you can let us know in the office or send us an email. So the next thing that we'll talk about through here, just some vitamins I think that are pretty important, and just overall foods I'd really try to up in your diet to make sure that you're really staying ahead of the you know anti-inflammatory processes in your body and 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 being just ideal when it comes to your your food intake. Big foods, cold water, wild caught fish should be in your diet at least, I'd say, three servings a week. That's every other day. Um, we know that 
high omega-3 fatty acid intake can potentially slow down cancer cell growth and even promote cancer cell death. Uh, antioxidant-rich foods, really important as well, or taking an antioxidant compound. Uh, things like berries, broccoli, spinach, pumpkins. Um, we want to help our body neutralize free radicals, which can tr- contribute to DNA damage and cancer growth. And so antioxidants are one of your body's best ways to stave that off. Um, even, even things like resveratrol as a supplement can be very helpful in that circumstance as well. Um, I love using that in our office. We have um, a, a turmeric compound that has curcumin and resveratrol in it. Um, spices are awesome when it comes to this factor for like staying healthy. So turmeric, rosemary, thyme, oregano, those are all really potent spices that have antiviral, antibacterial properties. Um, spices for turmeric, for example, has more than 600 research studies showing that it's more effective at reducing inflammation than aspirin or Tylenol. And so a lot of times we can use food as a helpful source of being healthy. I don't even want to call it medicine because it's, it's put there for our use. Um, but these are some really powerful things you can incorporate into your diet that can really help you. Getting tons of citrus fruits as well gets lots of natural, you know, biological vitamin C, which is a, a really important, obviously, vitamin um, for for cardiovascular health. But also, it's a really good antioxidant. Helps really neutralize free radicals, which again can contribute to cancer risk. Making sure you're getting lots of cruciferous vegetables. So that's broccoli, that's chard, that's deep leafy greens like kale. Um, really helpful. They contain some phytochemicals in them called sulforaphane, which is a cancer-fighting plant compound. It's been reduced with reducing risk of things like prostate cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, other oral cancers. Um, you're going to find it in all of those deep leafy, you know, bright green cruciferous vegetables. You can also get it in cauliflower. Vitamin D goes on this list as well. Um, you're going to get it from wild-caught fish, but you can also get it in supplemental form. Fat-soluble vitamin, uh, really important for producing hormones in the body and controlling and regulating the immune system. So if you're really deficient in vitamin D, it can lead to anything to depression, to increase cancer risk, to increase fracture risk, to increase risk of autoimmune disease. A lot of people who become deficient in vitamin D can develop eczema or other types of inflammatory arthritis. Your body needs it on a daily basis, and for a lot of us, you know, who are living in in the Midwest, approaching the North, you know, we don't get that vitamin D that we need when it's cold outside and when the sun is low in the sky. So, making sure you're optimizing your vitamin D take can be really important. Whenever we test and do blood labs on people, we want to see your vitamin D score being higher than sixty nanograms per deciliter. Most of the patients that I test are between twenty and thirty. It's just too low. You're you're not reducing your cancer risks. Your fracture risks, um, your autoimmune risks as much as you should be if you had a higher vitamin D level. So work on getting that up as much as you physically can. Uh, Next thing, I'm going to briefly talk about detoxifying your home and body. Um, We do have a YouTube video on this, and so I, I led patients during this talk that we did to our YouTube video, which spends like an hour going through the content. If you go to youtube.com and type in Be Aligned Health, you're going to see an hour long video we did on this that's detoxifying your body. Um, the reason I say that is because toxins from our homes to the air we breathe, to the food we eat, they're all around. Um, they're commonly found in cleaning products and chemicals and even like our home building materials. Uh, one of my mentors, he you know built a house and had it had a ton of uh, vinyl chlorides in it and he ended up developing cancer and he had a, a gas leak under his house that contributed to it as well. So these are things that can really really interfere with our body's ability to heal. And there's not a great place to, uh, to go to like avoid all of them. So you have to be like checking on them constantly. I, 
I always give my patients a resource that's the Environmental Working Group. You can look at cosmetics, cleaning products, home healthcare products um, on there, and you can actually see if things are made with carcinogenic ingredients or not. Um, you want to make sure that you're on top of those because, again, waiting for the FDA to tell you that your cleaning products are not good is uh, it's probably don't, where you don't, don't want to be. Uh, last thing we talked about in sleep before, but again, making sure you're getting enough sleep on the other side of this as far as action steps are concerned crucial to mental health. We know that as many as one in three of us don't sleep as well as we should. Um, you impair cognitive function with one to two days of sleep loss. Uh, you impair muscle strength as much as 15 to 20% the day after a bad night's sleep. Uh, you elevate stress hormones like cortisol and you start reducing growth hormone production. This affects anything from metabolism to immune function to cancer risk, all that stuff. Um, one of our next podcasts on here is going to be a whole workshop on sleep and how to work on improving your body's ability to sleep well and repair and heal. Last thing we're going to talk about on this podcast today is the importance of your posture, your alignment. We're going to go through some of the tenets of corrective chiropractic care and how those things work with your lifestyle to really keep you healthy. Um, moving well and staying active they're all dependent on good physical health. I mean, listen to this. So they did a study in 2004 on hyperkyphotic posture, people with bad posture. Uh, it was a big study. They looked at people who had a, uh, an accentuated curve in their back, so they were like hunching forward. We commonly see these postures looking around from everyone on their cell phones. And so what they found was the people who had hyperkyphotic posture or a forward head shift of more than one inch, they were 1.44 times more likely to die early. That's an increased mortality risk of 144%. It's close to that of smoking a pack of cigarettes per day. And they found the cause of death was specifically due to atherosclerosis and lung problems, meaning if you're hunched over in your posture, it's harder to breathe, it's harder to pump blood through your body, it makes it harder to function well. So a lot of us get these common injuries that stop us from exercising and moving like we want to. Plantar fasciitis, knee problems, hip issues, disc herniations, bad posture, headaches, migraines, rotator cuff injuries, tennis elbow, carpal tunnel syndrome, arthritis. These are all the kind of the big things that stop us from moving like we want to do. Well, in our office, what we've tried to do for all of our patients is really formulate a plan to get you ahead of these things. So how do we realign your body properly, help your posture get better? If you have joint issues, how do we help heal those joint issues, oftentimes without needing surgery? so that we can get you back in the game of life, which is being active, being able to get out there, move your body like you want to, and really get your body so that you're helping pr promote healthy metabolism and exercise promotes healthy brain function, and then you can do all the things you want to do. You know, but like these things injure us and damage us, and, and we don't fix them. We're too busy, we don't make the time for it, and these things are the oftentimes things that can just hamstring us when it comes to staying healthy in our life. So I'm going to walk through just a couple of the things that we do commonly in our office to help reverse these things. One of the big ones is, is corrective chiropractic care. That's where we spend time working on aligning your spine into a better position so that you have less neurological interference. The way that our body functions is that our brain sends signals through our vertebra and our body out through the nerve networks and channels so that everything can heal and function like it should. So for us to wiggle our hands, for example, nerves have to come down from our brain, through our spine, out through our hands and into our fingertips. And that relay has to happen back and forth, back and forth. So if we have any type of a breakdown in that process, our body's not going to function like it should. And one of the fastest ways to have a breakdown is to lose our proper alignment of our spine. So just like we should have a normal 
pulse or normal heartbeat, normal blood pressure. Our body has to look a certain way as far as alignment's concerned to be healthy in our spine. We know that from the front, our spine should be straight up and down. From the side, our spine should have healthy arcs or curvatures. And healthy curvatures in our spine will allow our spine to act more like a spring, resist the forces of gravity, and keep our body aligned for longer. In fact, most research experts agree that a healthily aligned spine should last more than 100 years, and most of them also more than 120 years in good health before it starts breaking down. Now, unfortunately, with all the traumas and injuries and accidents we have in our life, commonly when I see people, their spines are breaking down in their 50s, their 40s, their 30s, or even their 20s or earlier. We have cell phones, we have technology, we're sitting at desks all day long, we're hunched over, you know, all of those things put our spine into a bad alignment. And so simply put, instead of our spine protecting our body's nervous system, it starts to damage our nervous system. And the really cool thing with this is when we start to align people's spines, we see massive improvements in their health, not just in reduction of pain, but in reduction of a lot of symptoms that are associated with neurological problems. We see people with migraines and headaches see massive improvements in those. There's a lot of research now showing that blood pressure can be improved from being adjusted properly. It also helps restore gut function to its normal, healthier levels. We know that lung function is also improved by getting adjusted. There are so many markers, and the reason why is because, again, your spine houses your body's central nervous system, a huge part of it. So as we decrease the health of our spine, our body's overall function starts to decrease, As we improve the health of our spine, our body as a result starts to heal and function better. We know people who have healthily aligned spines, they've done a a long-term seven-year research study on this, people spend 85% less on pharmaceutical medications when they're well-aligned. They spend 69% less on out-of-pocket healthcare costs. They're hospitalized for emergencies 60% less often, and they have 59% less missed work days due to disability. So we know this. We know that if you're aligned well, if you're getting adjusted properly, it's going to help promote good health in your body. And in this case, it's one of those things where I say the investment is more than worth the benefit. You know what I mean? Investing in your health now with quality chiropractic care and maintenance care once you're done correcting your spine is something that helps to keep you ahead of all the injuries, all the things that life throws at you. In addition to using corrective chiropractic care in our office, we also use soft tissue injury techniques to help heal soft tissues. So plantar fasciitis, near meniscal injuries, hip problems, disc herniations. I personally have two slip discs in my lower back that are fully herniated that I had for 10 years and had to literally figure out the steps of helping to heal those soft tissue injuries without needing surgery. And so we commonly use a special type of ultrasound in our office known as focused ultrasound, That helps to break down scar tissue, improve blood supply, improve your body's own stem cell proliferation to improve your body's ability to heal from soft tissue injuries. A lot of studies are showing this has like an 83 to 89% success rate for soft tissue injuries specifically because it's so effective at telling your body to heal injured areas versus just injecting a painkiller into the area. And in fact, they did a, a big study that came out of California end of 2022 that showed that if you're chronically doing steroid injections or cortisone injections into inner joints that you're actually going to cause more arthritis than have a good net benefit of long-term. So the, the better you can stay ahead of these things and keep your body functioning, moving well, the better off you're going to be. 
Okay. This will do it for our seminar workshop today on Spotify. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. I'd really appreciate it if you send us an email or drop a comment below letting us know what you liked, what you want to hear more of, so we can keep catering exclusive content to you guys. We do this for you after all and want to make sure that you get the best out of this. Uh, Please share it with a friend. Uh, If you're a patient, ask us any questions in the office. If you're a guest and you want to become a patient, you can visit us online at BeAlignHealth.com or you can check us out on one of our many handles on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, many of the channels that we're on at BeAlignedHealth. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Thomas. Hope you guys have a great day and we'll talk to you all soon. Take care.